0: Hey, good afternoon, Church. If we have not met, my name is Robin Waller, and my wife, Laura, and I have the Joy of Serving as lead pastors of Lift Church. And if this is your first time catching uh, teaching via the video, um, great. Uh, thank you for being with us. Welcome to Lift Church. And uh, we're working towards getting uh, live teaching as much as possible, but it's also uh, great to, to be able to unify as a church on Sundays with some common teaching for everyone. And so... Uh, We're trying to blend live and and in-person teaching with uh, some recorded teaching, and uh, it's a privilege that uh, we get to do that as a church. And so across all six locations, uh, we're getting the same message today. And so... Uh, One of the things we do on Sundays uh, when we teach is we teach out of daily devos, something we do as a church is we study scripture together every day of the week. It's uh, such an important part of our church rhythm. And uh, then what we do is we take a passage from that week and we open up and we study it on Sunday. And that's what we're going to do. We're in the book of Mark right now. And we're going to study a passage of scripture from the book of Mark that we studied this week uh, in our devotion time. But we have new Daily Devo books coming out uh, last week, or sorry, in two weeks, uh, but you should have them available to pick up today. Claire shared about that. They're really cool looking, um, but we're doing a few things different. And so I want to share some of the changes that we've made and uh, some of the why around it. So you'll notice that they're coil bound uh, by popular demand. You can lay it flat, easier to write, a little upgrade there. Uh, The other thing you'll note is that they're much bigger. Uh, and there's a reason for that. What we've done is we've actually mapped together the whole, uh, school year into one devotional book. So we're going to be studying through a whole ton of different books in the Bible, Ecclesiastes, Romans, Acts, uh, Exodus, and a whole bunch of others. But we've put them into one big book to carry us from now until May. And so this one book is intended to be with us for the whole school year. And, uh, So that's on the sort of the the layout and the setup of it. There's a little bit more writing space in it uh, for people that like to write. And uh, our hope is that our whole church would learn to journal and to pray by writing it out and studying Scripture. But I made a couple changes on the inside. So inside, you'll notice that there's two days on each page. Uh... And there's a box that says, I'm praying for and I'm grateful for. So rather than giving the specific prompts on how to study the scripture, our hope is that we would all learn to, in our simple churches, self-feed and study scripture and mind God's wisdom from it, but then also be prompted to every day be praying for those in our simple churches and take time to intentionally be grateful. And so our hope is each day we would identify who we're praying for and uh, what we can be grateful for. And then you'll also notice on Sundays, there's a big, long section where uh, we could take sermon notes. Since we do our teaching out of Daily Devos, uh, you can take notes on the sermons. And one of the best ways to to derive value from this teaching time together is actually by taking notes. So starting in two weeks, when we start teaching from this Daily Devo book, uh, you will be able to take uh, sermon notes straight in the book. So bring your books on Sundays, and you'll be able to take notes, which will be kind of... uh, Uh, I think a helpful tool to make this a more valuable time together. With all that to say, we're going to jump to Mark 11 for our second last week in the book of Mark, Mark 11. And we're going to be in verse 20 today. And I want to uh, do some teaching out of Mark 20 or Mark 11, 20 to 25. And so before I read it, uh, why don't we pray? Jesus, we thank you for your word and that you've given it to us, that we can study it, be nourished by it, be molded by it. And I pray that our time as we uh, mine the specific passage in Mark, I pray that it would be fruitful and life-giving to all of us. Uh, Jesus, that you would teach us to be more like you, more trusting and more faithful as we follow you. Amen. So let's read together from Mark 11, 20 to 25. Early in the morning as they were passing by, they saw a fig tree... Uh, they saw the fig tree withered uh, from its roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. So earlier in Mark, Jesus had cursed a fig tree uh, and they've now come back to that fig tree and it's died. And he said, wow, Jesus, this is amazing. You have power over over living things. Uh, And Jesus replies, verse 22, he says, Have faith in God. Turn to your neighbor and say, have faith have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whenever you pray, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you. Your wrongdoing. This is a very strange passage because uh, on one hand, it almost looks uh, like we can read this passage in this sort of overly simplistic way and say, well, I guess all I need to do is pray and and God's going to give me stuff. Whatever I need, God, I pray and God will give it to you as if God is some sort of vending machine in the sky. And then it ends really strange, like Jesus goes from God as vending machine to something about forgiveness, and there's this cursed fig tree. Like, this this passage is actually quite a strange passage. Like, what's going on here? And I think this call that Jesus is making to faith is, is really quite fascinating. I mean, some of us, I think, our, our perception of faith is is perhaps limited to well, I I guess I didn't study enough for that exam, so I'll say a quick prayer and, and hope it goes well. It's sort of a last ditch. God will blame me out, bail me out. He said, I I can just ask and and it will happen. And this got me thinking, like, what what is faith? Like, why is Jesus calling us to have faith? What is this passage about? I'm quite certain that many of us could stand up and and you know say to the mountain be cast in the sea and and uh, you know it's not likely going to happen and then be wondering like well I'm confused what did Jesus mean in this passage I'm, am I doubting is there something wrong with me is Jesus not real like what's going on what is this passage actually saying what's Jesus point Well the first thought I want to draw out here is that faith is is a imperative or an inherent part of what it means to be human. We all have faith in something. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And perhaps for some of us who have grown up in the church or in faith systems, we immediately think we understand what he's saying here. You know, faith can almost be like breathing for some of us. But if we don't take a minute to actually ponder what is Jesus saying, I think we can miss what's happening in this passage. We need to pause and ask some questions about what Jesus said here. Well, he says, have faith in God. Well, what does it mean to have faith? And if we have faith, what does it mean to not have faith? And why should we have faith in God as opposed to all the other things we might be able to have faith in? And what does it even mean to have faith in God? What does that look like? There's an atheist uh, uh, writer, he quite, was quite popular, I don't think he's as popular now as he was, his name was Richard Dawkins. And he says, faith is the great cop-out, the excuse to evade the need to think. Faith is the great cop-out, the excuse to evade the need to think. And that's what some of people think, is that, is that faith is this, like, this evasion of thought. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Is Jesus telling us not to think? or to have a cop-out excuse for being rationally-minded people. You know, it's an awfully cynical statement, uh, and I would say a statement from someone who clearly hasn't thought very deeply about what faith is. So let me help us think clearly about what is faith. Faith is what we use to fill the gap between what we have experiencing or what we have and what we need. Faith is what we use to fill the gap between what we have and what we need, or between what we're experiencing and what we hope to experience. Faith is what goes in the gap when we run into limitations because of our humanity. All of us have a limited perspective in time and a limited perspective in ability, we're not super powerful uh, you know, beings that can do whatever we want. And we're limited in time. We can't see the future. And so because we can't do whatever we want and because we can't see the future, we have a gap between our ability and what we need and our, our, where we are in time and our future. And into that gap goes faith. Faith is what goes in the gap between where we are and where we will be, and what we have, and what we need. The question is not if there is a gap between these things. The question is, what do we fill the gap with? So in other words, faith is not optional. We all have faith in something. Faith is part of what it means to be human. We all have faith. We all have a gap, and we all have to fill that gap. So, for example, we maybe could fill the gap by having faith in ourselves, in our intellect, in our abilities. You know, I'm not, I have this need and I see where I want to go. So I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to put faith in my, in myself. We have faith in, you know what, I'm going to pursue success in life. My life is not that meaningful but i hope it one day will be meaningful and i'm going to put faith in the idea that success is going to answer meaning i'm going to put faith in the idea that a relationship will make me feel whole i don't feel totally whole i desire to feel whole so what i'm going to do is put faith into that gap that a relationship will will fix the issue or a better job or success in academics or uh, athletics or you know, new stuff or more popularity or on and on and on. We put faith in these things that they will fill the gap between what we have and what we need. And what Jesus does here is he says, have faith in God. So when we experience a deficiency or a gap between what we have and what we need and uh, what we, uh, where we are and where we want to be, Jesus says Fill the gap with faith in God. At the core, what Jesus is saying here is that it is an invitation to put our faith in something or more accurately, someone that is bigger than us. Remember, faith is due to our limitations. When we run into our limitations in ability and in perspective, we have to use faith. And what Jesus is inviting his disciples to do is put faith in God, that recognize humbly before God to say, "You know, I'm limited. I'm not perfect. I can't solve the problems all myself. I'm not in total control of my life. I don't have my future totally sorted out. So I am going to put faith in God. In short, faith in God is a humble recognition that I'm not perfect, that I'm limited. So in short, faith is what we use to jump the gap between our limited reality and God's unlimited reality. Faith is the invitation, faith in God is the invitation to jump the distance between what we have experienced and what we could experience because there is a God that is bigger than us. But this should lead us to the question, okay, well, hold on a second, Jesus. You say, have faith in God. Well, why Why faith in God? Like, why faith in God as opposed to faith in myself? Like, what's wrong with faith in all those other things? They seem to not be so bad, like... What is it about faith in God that is so significant? And it's really beautiful. Jesus actually anticipates this question in, after inviting his disciples to have faith in God, he highlights two two reasons how that faith in God is going to change their perspective. And I want to draw them out because they're so important for us to understand, to navigate faith. So let's go to verse 23 here. It says, Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. So let's go back to that first gap that I talked about the gap between our ability and our need. There's a gap between our capacity, what we could do, or what we can do, and what we need to do. And so what we might take away from this is sweet. If I have faith in God, I get superpowers. I can uh, say to the mountain, be cast into the sea, and it will be cast into the sea. But unfortunately for us, uh, Jesus is not making that point. He's not saying, hey, if we, if we get to, if we put faith in God, we get superpowers. Well, no, because it's not us that does the moving of the mountain. It's God that does the moving of the mountain. What Jesus is inviting us to do here is, by faith, adopt a supernatural understanding of the world. A supernatural understanding of the world. Now, maybe when you hear the word supernatural, you think of something mysterious, perhaps a little bit spooky. You maybe pull up some weird uh, understandings of that from Hollywood or something. But the word supernatural could be almost uh, better said as like beyond natural, like, uh, like bigger than natural, like supernatural. natural. And what do I mean by that? Well, there are two basic worldviews that dominate uh, the Western world. The naturalist worldview and the supernaturalist worldview. So let's start with the naturalist worldview. A naturalist worldview, and this is pretty much what we'll experience on the average university or college campus. And naturalism basically says, all there is in the world is stuff. There's just atoms smashing into each other, and that makes up the universe. Naturalism would say, well, you know what, there's really no purpose or order or significance to the smashing of the atoms it just so happens that uh, by chance uh, the world has become what it is and uh, as a result the emotions we feel and the things we do well they're just they're just they're purely natural and the assumption in naturalism is that everything that we experience can be explained in natural terms through the smashing together of atoms, or the chemical uh, operations, or for on and on and on and on. You know, we only do things because we're programmed to do things, and, and this kind of almost cynical view of the world. But if naturalism is true, well then, that means that we humans are really just random assemblies of atoms that fire on electrical impulses, And that means that the profound sense of awe that we experience when we look at something beautiful like a a, a landscape or a canyon or a mountain, that awe that resonates deep within, that's just an electrical impulse. It doesn't mean anything. The, The capacity to feel love and joy and satisfaction just, again, impulses, responses in us that have no ultimate meaning. Naturalism is essentially a reduction of the world to purely natural forces. And what Jesus is saying here is that faith in God is about creating space for a supernatural worldview, where the idea that words can move mountains, that's not natural. That is beyond natural. Jesus is inviting us to have a worldview where There is perhaps an all-powerful God who is interacting with his creation, involved with his creation, and and this is really cool, not just that there is a supernatural God that is uh, involved with this creation, but that he is involved with you and I. By faith, Jesus is saying that in order to understand our world, we can either answer it only in naturalistic terms, or we can answer it by saying, hey, there's the capacity for things that are beyond natural. Now, without getting into the entire uh, apologetic or rationale for why supernaturalism is, is a better understanding of the world, one important point here is, is, I think, worth stating. Naturalism, the idea that everything can be explained in natural terms, can never, ever explain... Why we are here or how we came to be here in the first place. It can neither answer the question of purpose, but it also can't answer the question of origin. Something doesn't come from nothing in the natural world. And in this regard, even naturalism depends on faith. There is a gap between what naturalism is experiencing, everything can be explained in natural terms and the reality that naturalism can't explain itself. Why are we here? That requires faith. Naturalism requires faith that when we study the world, it's gonna make sense. Like, why should the world make sense when we study it? That's a faith statement. But if we adopt a supernatural view of the world that says there is a God that exists outside the laws and the bounds of nature, and he can give meaning and speak authoritatively into the world, then that can answer the question, why are we here? And how did we come to be here? Both require faith, for sure. But faith in a God that has created an ordered world that is worth studying, that I think, is a more powerful invitation to a life of faith. And in fact, the study of the sciences actually originated out of this. Most of the scientific method developed through the Enlightenment was a response from people who believed God had created the world and made it ordered. And therefore, it was worth studying, It wasn't a naturalist worldview that led to the scientific uh, breakthroughs and the development that we find ourselves in blessed by. It was actually a supernaturalist worldview. We study the world because there is a God that is outside our world that has ordered it. And that's what Jesus is trying to say uh, in a first century context. Obviously, the scientific method hadn't been developed yet when Jesus was alive 2000 years ago. But what he's trying to say is that this world that we see There's more to it. There's a God that has ordered it, a God that has created it. There is a God who is outside the created order, who has authority over this creation. Even the mountains are under his control. He can speak and they will obey. And even more beautiful than there being a God that exists outside of creation that has control over creation, he wants to interact with that creation and he wants to interact and he wants to interact with you. see, it's not our words that move the mountains, it's God, and it's through God's through relationship with us that opens up the supernaturalist world. And this is why Jesus says at the back end of that verse that we must not doubt when we speak. You see, it's not blind faith that our words are magical that moves the mountain— Ah, if I just believe and I say the right incantation, the mountain moves. No, Jesus is not saying we should have faith in magic. He's saying that we should have faith in God. And he's inviting us to a a dynamic two-way relationship with God, where God can move through our world because we have without doubt trusted him and invited him into relationship. Jesus' point is not that the world is magical, but that it's ordered, and it's governed by a God that wants to walk in relationship with his creation. And that's why Jesus uses this illustration of a mountain, not so that we would pray that mountains move, but so that we would be invited into a dynamic two-way relationship with the creator of the cosmos. That is only possible by faith. And so therefore we can look at the world around us and having been invited into a relationship with God, we can by faith say, I believe in the God that makes the impossible possible. I believe in the God that can do more than I could ask or imagine. And so Jesus' first point here is that there is a God that is outside nature and is supernatural and he wants relationship with us. But let's go to the second point that Jesus makes in verse 24. He says, therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, this is a fascinating verse. I want to really unpack it for a few moments. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, notice that Jesus does something really interesting here. He uses two different time frames. Believe that you have, so present slash past tense, like believe that you already have something, and it will, like future tense, be yours. How does that work? Is Jesus playing fast and loose with grammar, or is he making a really beautiful point? Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, you may recall the first gap that I talked about is the gap between our ability and our need that can be filled by a supernatural God. But Jesus is highlighting a second aspect of why faith in God is so beautiful. It's the fact that we can navigate time itself by faith. What do I mean? Well, you and I can't see the future. I can't read into the future. I can't anticipate the future, and I can't change the past. I'm stuck. I can only move through time linearly from where I am to the next moment and the next moment and the next moment. But when we pray, we pray to the God that is outside time. We travel through time linearly like this. But in many ways, it's more like God is looking at time from above, more like a map. He sees it all at once. And therefore, God's perspective on time is completely different than ours. And so when Jesus says have faith in God, what he's saying is you can't anticipate what you will receive tomorrow. But we believe in a God that is not bound by the strictures and limitations of time. Why is this relevant? Other than perhaps an interesting philosophy exercise. You see, so much of life It's spent looking at our situations and the things we find ourselves in through our limited perspective of what we see, feel, and experience right now. And the challenge is we are so limited in what we can see and experience and feel right now. You know, our lives are just a tiny, like microscopic blip on the timeline of history in the midst of the cosmos. But our worries, anxieties, fears, and emotions can feel totally overwhelming. Have you ever thought to ponder this, like our experience in the here and the now can feel like an eternity, but in light of eternity, they're almost irrelevant. And yet there is a God who has the proper perspective. And he sees us in the emotions and the challenges that we experience. He says, I have a sovereign perspective because I'm outside of the time strictures. And so what Jesus says here, believe that you have received it now and it will be yours. Essentially, what Jesus is saying here is live our lives as followers of Christ by looking to the future and bringing the future into the present. Let me say that again. What Jesus is basically saying to do is look to the future and bring the future into the present. Again, what does that mean? Well, to have faith in God means that we have faith in the end of the story, that the brokenness and the injustices and the pain of life that we experience today that Jesus wins, that there's a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth that informs how we understand the world around us. So we don't need to fear today because we know how the story ends, our God wins. It means that when we give our lives for the cause of Christ, so I'm, I'm going to invest. I'm going to pour my life out. I'm going to waste all of the time that I have on the things of God, on making disciples and serving the poor and investing in the broken and loving my neighbor and loving my brothers and sisters of Christ. When I waste my life on that, I can do that. I can make that investment now because I can see in eternity that Jesus Church is going to be made of all nations worshiping together. And so we look at the eternal perspective and we say, I'm going to look at eternity in faith, and then I'm going to live that now. We take what we see in eternity, we bring it into the present. To have faith in God means that we start to look at our current world. And the decisions we make and what we value and what we think is significant through the lens of an eternal picture. It means that we don't chase uh, resource and money and success now at the expense of our relationships because our relationships are eternal and those other things are temporary. We value the eternal. So we come to God in faith and we, we start to pray and live Believing what we see in eternity can be ours today. You see, this means that God is not just a gigantic vending machine in the sky. Jesus is inviting us by faith to come into alignment with the eternal purposes of God. And so when we pray, we pray having humbly been molded by a God who sees things in an eternal perspective. We've recognized by faith who God is that he is the sovereign, supernatural God. And we say, your future will be mine. But then Jesus does something very interesting. After talking about faith, he turns the tables. He says in verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven will forgive Your wrongdoing. So, your Father in heaven will forgive your wrongdoing. So, Jesus has called us to faith in God so that we can have a relationship with God. The whole purpose that Jesus is getting at here is actually about relationships. It's not about moving mountains. It's not about getting what we want. It's an invitation to relationship. And then what he does here is he brings the real issue at play. He's not saying have faith so you can be supernatural or read the future. The greatest need for faith is actually that we can have whole and healthy and healed relationships. The biggest challenge that we face in our lives, the biggest gap between our experiences and our hopes is in our relationships, often our broken relationships. And that's why Jesus brings that to the fore. He says, actually, the issue at play here, it's not moving mountains. It's not receiving things. It's if you have anything against anyone. In many cases, the greatest barrier is our relationships. Perhaps because of of betrayal, hurt, pain, neglect, the list could be endless. And yet, and this would have resonated so powerfully with Jesus' audience, Jesus says we can be forgiven by God. And the reason he brings that to the fore and to the forefront of the conversation is that we are all guilty Of broken relationship with God. We routinely violate his good instructions, choose to live according to our own standards, crave life for ourselves, and give him no credit. In short, we have lived without faith. We've been faithless. And yet the promise that Jesus gives here is that despite our faithlessness, sin, brokenness, shame, guilt, anger, and violation of God's holiness, forgiveness is available to us. He says God will forgive us and that takes faith. That's why the Apostle Paul expands on this idea and says by faith we are saved. It takes faith to believe that God can forgive us because it's so unbelievable. When we look at ourselves and the, the evil that is within us and the brokenness and the pain and the rejection of God's goodness that we have so often lived by, it takes faith to believe that God could even forgive us. And yet by faith, we are invited to receive this beautiful truth that God can actually forgive us. That is the most beautiful aspect of this invitation to faith. That faith in God is the means by which we can actually receive his forgiveness and have a relationship with God. And then, look at what this does. This is is so cool. If we can have faith with God, faith in God, that means that we recognize our humility and we say, God, I need your forgiveness. I'm not perfect. I'm not righteous. But thank you, God, praise God that you can forgive me. That that also not just changes our relationship with God, it also changes our relationship with others. It changes the way we view others. Do you see that Jesus calls us to forgive others, those that have wronged us? I've come to learn that it takes great faith to be a church. It takes faith, A, to believe that God can forgive me. But it also takes faith to believe that God can create a family of believers who forgive and walk in relationship with each other as they pursue relationship with God. It's by faith that we can experience wholeness in our relationship with God, but it's also by faith that we can experience wholeness in our relationship with each other as a church family. And the truth is that I think in our generation, cynicism reigns. We believe relationship is impossible. Deep, authentic, loving relationship is impossible. Believe that true love between friends could never exist. And yet, if we have tasted the forgiveness of God and the joy that comes from a restored relationship with him by faith, then by faith we can actually start to live in whole relationship with other people. This is the root of what it means to be church family. It's not that we are perfect, but rather that by faith we have received the forgiveness of God. And so by faith I open my life up to love my brothers and sisters in the church. By faith, I open my home up. By faith, I share my resources. By faith, I offer kind words. By faith, I persevere through rejection and betrayal. By faith, I love and commit to loving our church. By faith, we give. By faith, we serve. By faith, we persevere. That's the invitation. It's not mountains we need to move. It's us, our hearts before God, a holy, righteous God, and we need to receive his forgiveness. And by faith, we need to move the mountain that stands in the way of our relationships and choose to be a people that love one another. Not because we're perfect. Not because we get it right all the time. But by faith, we receive the gift of forgiveness in God and the forgiveness in each other let's pray jesus i thank you that we get to pray that we get to be people of faith lord i pray that you would make us more like you in this regard that we would be full of faith that when we run into a gap between what we need and what we can do. We have faith in you. When our perspective is limited, I pray that we'd have faith in you. But mostly, Jesus, I pray that we would receive the gift of forgiveness by faith and extend the gift of forgiveness to others by faith. Jesus, I pray that you would make us more like you as you study your word this week. We love you, Lord. Amen. Be blessed, church. Have a great week.